But like I said, we're in Matthew 20 this week. And Matthew 20 is, it's getting close. We're getting down to it here. Uh, it's almost time. Remember Jesus, Jesus read all of the prophets. He read all of the, um, the Old Testament. That was the only thing they had. They didn't have a New Testament, right? And um, so he read all the things in there about Passover and the Passover lamb and the deliverance from Egypt that the Passover lamb was a part of. And then he read in the prophets, in Isaiah, would talk about uh, the, the burden of all of our sin was put on him. And by his stripes we are healed. And it, it pleased God to, to make him suffer. It talks about that in Isaiah 53. And so Jesus read all that and he knew that he, it was talking about him. And he knew he was the Messiah. And he knew that he would fulfill all of the, everything in the law and the prophets. And so he knows his time is coming. But that doesn't make him like go on a retreat to wrap up his final days on the side of a mountain all by himself. He just keeps going. Almost, almost like normal. So he's teaching. And he gives this parable. And this parable is, uh, it, it tells us so many things, and there's so many things that are applicable to us right now today, even though this was a 2,000-year-old parable. So, Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them to his vineyard to work. Going out about the third hour, he saw some standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, Hey, you all go into my vineyard too, and whatever's right, I'll pay you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and he found others standing. And he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one's hired us. Not my fault. <laughs> I just have to throw that in there. Nobody hired us. He said, You go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call all the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. Oh yeah. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These guys only last they only worked one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker the same that I gave you. Am I not allowed to do what I chose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. 
So there's a whole bunch of historical stuff that everybody would know about that time and their prejudice would be speaking up during that time that we only get in footnotes or commentaries, right? So the start of the day was probably about 6 o'clock in the morning. The work day was like from 6 to 6. So when he goes out in the early morning, he's going out 6 o'clock in the morning and the people that are at the market looking for work are the most eager to get a job and work, right? It's the early bird gets the worm. This is the same thing that happens down by um, Bits and Bites by the courthouse. There's a whole bunch of guys that are there in the morning and if you need some work done, you need some holes dug or some cinder block moved around, you can pull up down there and load the guys all up into your truck and they'll work for you. Uh, so the, the 6 a.m. guys are the most eager. They really want to work and so they agree to a denarius. A denarius was the standard daily pay. There's one commentary I read. It said this was the standard daily pay for a laborer or a soldier. So that was established. So then he comes back three hours later. So he probably came back, or it says mid-morning. So they probably divided up the day just the way you would think every three hours. He comes at 6 to get the first workers. He comes back at 9. He comes back at noon. He comes back at 3. And then he comes back just before quitting time. Now the people that are there late in the afternoon have either been there all day long and nobody hired them or they had been there all day long and they didn't have any initiative to get hired or they just haven't shown up. Like they slept until noon, so when the guy came at noon to hire people, they weren't even there yet. They were still, you know, waking up, and they were just showing up at the end of the day kind of thing. That's, that's what you would think. If you were hearing this parable, you would think, boy, those dudes are lazy. If they're not getting hired till 5 o'clock to work one hour, like that is super lazy. Super do-my-work-for-me people. Well, at the same time that Jesus was alive telling this parable, this same parable was being told by rabbis with a twist. And the twist was that the people that got hired at the end of the day worked so hard and they put in so much effort and they were just so, such good workers that they earned the same as the people that worked the whole day. So you can see where, um, just trying to teach a lesson, right? This is some good work ethic. This is some good work ethic parable, if you look at it that way. That even if you get, you know, they could make a movie about it, and it'd be like a basketball thing or a football thing. Even if you get hired on that last hour, you work harder than everybody else. That was not the parable Jesus told. He flipped it. And so when everybody's hearing this parable, they're hearing it and they're like, oh yeah, I heard this before. And then Jesus gets to the end and everybody gets paid the same and it's no credit to how hard the guys worked. The credit is to the owner, the master, who is generous. And so all of a sudden, this becomes a parable not of how hard you should work, but 
getting an accurate and intelligent and truthful view of the master for whom we work. One time I was complaining about my job and you know blah 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 and then this good friend of mine he was like you know everything you've complained about is about your worldly boss but you don't work for him. It's like what do you mean? He said you work for the Lord. It, what everything that you've complained about your job if you applied that to if you were working for the Lord could you complain about those things? And I realized I couldn't. And in that in that spot if I when I started it was it helped me out because it was a lunch during the week. So then I got to go right back to work with my new attitude and my new uh, slapped, had with some sense slapped into me. But if I saw and I realized I'm working for the Lord, not for men here, it changed my afternoon that day. And, it, and it, it, so it's about getting to know this master, getting to know the landowner, the, the hire. Not, this isn't a parable about how hard you should work. What else is encouraging about this is how many ways this applies to us. You know, my friends, they got saved when they were six and were really good church kids all the way through and never had that wander off time. They, they don't look at me who got saved when I was almost 19 and had this you know, wild season with jealousy or disdain or you should not have as many... You know, you shouldn't have as many blessings as me because I got saved when I was six. No, no, no. In the same way, my friend Keith Hefley, so he was in a nursing home. He was at Evansville Protestant Home until the coronavirus, and now he's living at his daughter's house. But before that, he was an evangelist at the Evansville Protestant Home. And he just, by his own motivation, became the chaplain for everybody. So they didn't have to wait for a chaplain to come. They all knew that they could come and talk to him. And, and, and he'd pray with them and have a Bible study and direct a Bible study. On Sunday afternoons when they would have like a chapel thing and the, the speaker wouldn't show up or they'd mess up with the schedule, he'd just get out his Bible and go up there and sit down. He was still evangelizing people in their hundreds because he knew it wasn't too late for them. So when, when we moved him in, we were moving all of his furniture in, and my buddy, he goes, you know what this is? And I said, what? He said, this is all these people's last chance. If they don't listen to Keith Hefley, they're, they're just not going to listen. So we make jokes that he's the last chance for the Evansville Protestant home. Um, somebody can get saved when they're 110 at that 11th hour and they will get paid the same as my friends that got saved when they were six. The payment, that, that makes me just want to worship Jesus even more, right? The other part about this, so you might think, well gosh, if we're all getting paid the same, why would I bother going to work until five or six in the afternoon? Why, why bother, right? Well, all those workers in the vineyard that were working all day got to be together working. Think of the people that were at the market. They were all isolated. 
I mean, just look at what a picture of the Christian life. that I don't, I don't want to put too much into a parable that isn't there. But just think about the Christian life. And as we live the Christian life in community with other people living the Christian life, how more rich and full that is than just swinging into heaven right as the door is about ready to close. It's just a, it's a richer life. So it's really good. And I love that last line. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Remember, Jesus is saying this in the presence of his disciples. He's saying this in the presence of the crowds that just follow along. And he's saying this in the presence of the Pharisees whose professional job was to point their finger and judge other people. And he is also secretly, kind of with an inside joke, reaching out to those guys to say, isn't God allowed to do what he chooses? Why do you hate his generosity? Why, why would you be mad that a sinful person could get saved and go to heaven? We should never, we should never be mad that somebody gets saved and goes to heaven, no matter what a despicable, punk-faced jerk they are. We should always rejoice, wow, they, they are rescued. I remember there was a time, um, we, were, we were the victims of a lot of corruption. We were the victims of some really, for real, government corruption. And it was in another country. And we were getting kicked out of that country, um, because somebody wouldn't pay a bribe and it was just really messed up and I was so angry and I was so like here we are doing all this good stuff and, and evil is winning and I, it was good Friday I took a day to just go out in the wilderness and pray and for all of my anger towards these people Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins if they would accept that payment. If they would accept that, then they would escape the same thing that happened to him. To be condemned, to be killed, and then, and then hell. And all of a sudden, any ideas of, this isn't fair, they shouldn't be doing this, all that went away. And all I cared about was their souls. What, what a way to change your perspective, right? Of, okay, what's important here? Jesus is saying that to the Pharisees. Don't begrudge God's generosity. Whatever bad things they did, Jesus can still save them. And I still pray for those guys. Alright, last will be first, first, last. That's all about expectations. Oh, 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 yeah. Do you notice what made the problem here was the expectations. Those people that started working at 6 a.m., they saw the blessing of a one day's pay, labor paid for an hour, and they started to have expectations that God owed them, or the landowner owed them more. Well, I've done all these righteous things for God, I deserve more. What was originally agreed upon? A denarius. You don't deserve more. 
you deserve what was agreed upon, right? And so their expectation, ooh, they're going to pay me. He's going to pay me 10 times that because I worked 10 hours today. They would also pay at the end of the day because it would get hot and a lot of people would quit in the heat of the sun. And so if you worked all day and then you quit, you wouldn't get paid for anything because you weren't there at the end of the day to get paid, which is a little thing for perseverance, right? Encouraging you to persevere to the end. So their expectations that they deserved more than what was agreed upon caused that conflict. All right, hold that, in your, hold that on your clipboard for a minute. Jesus says this little side thing in Matthew 20, verse 17. Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside and he said, We're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death. They'll deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he'll be raised on the third day. It doesn't say any of their reaction to that. There's numerous times Jesus has said this. Remember earlier when Jesus said it? When they were at, um, oh, come on. Bible trivia. Where were they? They were at the gates of hell. They were at that place. No, I can't remember the name. I'll remember it here in a second. What? No. It's close, though. They went there and they said, Jesus, is gonna, Jesus said, the Son of Man's going to die. And be given over. And Peter said, Don't say that. That can't happen. And. No. Gosh, I can't. It's not Capernaum. <laughs> That's funny. I'll remember it in the middle of nothing, right? So Jesus has been telling them, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. And sometimes they rebuked him and they had arguments, but this time there's just no reaction. But look at how, what detail he gave. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. I'm going to be mocked and flogged and crucified. He knew every single thing that was going to happen to him. He didn't, he, that none, of the, none of the passion was a surprise. There was no point where he was like, Oh, now they're whipping me. He, he knew it all. Alright, so remember the parable? The people that worked all day thought they were going to get paid more. You think if you work really hard, you're going to get more from God? So the mother, this is Matthew 20, 20, the mother of the sons of Zebedee comes up with her sons and she kneels before him so he can tell she has a request. He says, what do you want? She said, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are they able to drink the cup that I am able to drink? Are you guys ready to do like what I'm going to go through? James and John say, we are able. We can do it, Jesus. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right and my left right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant. It is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. So these guys are asking, 
And now whether they got their mom to ask for them, whether it was her thing that she wanted and she came, I don't know, she's involved here. The significance of that is she could have been Jesus' aunt or a rel- she was somehow a relative of Mary. And so that gives her in a family structure a little bit of authority. You know, just like you never contradict your grandpa when he says something, you do it. Kind of don't talk back to the wife of Zebedee. Don't talk back to Mrs. Zebedee. You do what she tells you, right? Which is a little manipulative. Like, how can we get the right and left hand? Oh, let's ask mom. Because she used to change his diapers and she's got some, some authority over him, right? It's funny because... Jesus asks them, you guys know what you're asking? Like, to be at my right and left hand, you don't know what I'm going to go through? And they say yes. Even though Jesus just told this parable that says how hard you work and what you go through doesn't affect how much you get paid. So are you guys ready to go through all this intense stuff? Yes, we're ready. Thinking that to go through that intense stuff is what will earn them their right and left seat. And Jesus just said, that's not how it works. It's given. you got to know the landowner. The landowner, he knows what he's going to pay everybody. And it's up to him, not me. Even Jesus says it's not me. So now the other ten. The other ten disciples are indignant, it says. See, they had been walking, there's numerous other places where they're walking along the road and they're arguing about who Jesus likes the most and who's the best. Remember the the parable the other week about when Jesus brought a little child and said, whoever wants to be the greatest needs to be like this little child. Just follow me without questioning. They're still arguing about who's the best. So Jesus gives them another teaching. let's, Let's try to sort this out, guys. You're... You're giving me all kinds of opportunities to teach about arguing about who's best. Matthew 20, 25. You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. There were were Roman rulers, there are rulers even now today, that just to show what their authority is, will have people do stuff that is really pointless. But in ordering people to do it, they do it. That shows that that's their authority, right? You know, they rule it. The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them. It should not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you would be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So now suddenly there is something to this business of the reward you get is related to how hard you work. But it's not about being a boss. And it's not about being an authority. It's not about a hierarchy. And... Notice in this, he's talking about the first among you. Remember how he said the first will be last and the last will be first earlier? Now he's saying the first among you should be the slave. 
Well, what's the slave going to do? The slave's going to be the one that gets the food last. The slave's the one that's going to be putting everybody ahead of themselves. I, I spent a week with a bunch of Mennonites on a mission trip down in Pascagoula, Mississippi. And we were cleaning up after a, a hurricane. And these guys, I mean, 5 o'clock, you could, you could count on it. 5 o'clock, the hammers hit the ground. All work stopped instantly. And everybody scrambled back to the kitchen where all these Amish women had been cooking our dinner all day long. Mission trip. Like hard work, right? And uh, every night, it was like every night we were eating at Amish cooking. And there were three, three of us from Evansville that we didn't know anything. We just showed up in these people. But um, this guy named Amos, he was like the, 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 uh, the, uh, the elder statesman of their whole group. He was the oldest guy in the group. He was the hardest working guy in the whole group. He was the guy that was like crawling underneath flooded out bathtubs and, and pushing out all kinds of nasty crud that we were all like, oh, we don't want to touch it. And he's like crawling in it, pushing it out. He never ate until everyone else ate. And it became a game for us. And we were like, okay, I'm going to eat after Amos goes through the line. And he would disappear. And everybody would be getting their food. And we'd be like, okay, I think he's already got his food. And he's, you know, somewhere this or that place. And we'd get in the line. And he would come right in the line right behind us. Bloop. Hey, guys, what are you eating tonight? You're like, how did you do this? And it just became an ongoing joke. And we told him flat out, we are determined to eat after you eat. And he would say, no, no, because the greatest among you will be the servant of all. And I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be the greatest out of all of you. And we were like, oh, he's even making it that blunt. He's rubbing our faces in it. And we never beat him. I don't even know. I don't even know how it happened. We only had a week. Maybe if I had more time to try. He was that committed to let everybody else go to serve the other people. Now, if you're serving other people and you're acting like you're other people's servants, where's revenge? Do servants have revenge against their masters? No way. Where is hatred or bitterness or strife or greed or envy? None of that's there. Isaac and I were having this conversation about managers and jobs this week. And I said, man, all he's worked for some terrible managers. And in all of his various tiny little food jobs, right? And I said, it just shows you how how important it is to have a really good manager. Or to be a good manager and to care about people. Because when your manager loves you and you love your manager, you'll do anything. You will work overtime. You just don't even care. And it, it transforms the whole thing. Well, if you're a servant, the greatest among you will be the servant. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you would be your slave. That kind of serving people... Even, even when you're a boss, even when you're over people, if you make it really easy and lovable for your people to serve you, then you help them to be lifted up. 
right? If um, we work, we have this farm stand, and there's a couple customers that we know that when they pull up, I look over, and I know they're not going to be happy. And I know there's going to be about four things they're not going to be happy with, but I really want them to be happy. So I try to figure out what, the, oh, they're not going to be happy because we're out of garlic, and they're not going to be happy because it's hot. What are the other two? I can't figure it out. Oh, here they come. And then they're there. Oh, you guys are out of spinach. I'm like, oh, I didn't call that one. I didn't see that. We can be people that are easy to serve. If we're people that are easy to serve, then it makes other people more likely to be able to serve us. Does that make sense? And then all of a sudden, we're helping them get exalted by the Lord. So there's, there's a couple really good places in here where we can fit. And then ultimately, look to Jesus. Jesus could have come and ordered people around. There's only a few times where he tells people what to do. And even then, it's, um, it's, it's not bossy. And it's more like you get to participate in this. When he says, go wash the mud off your eyes. To the guy that he put mud on his eyes and to heal his blindness. It's like, now go do this. It wasn't, it wasn't stupid. Well, I mean, it was kind of weird. But it wasn't mindless. Because the guy was trying to get, he wanted to be healed of his blindness. When he said, when he's setting up for the uh, Last Supper... He's like, hey, we need, to, we need to have a last supper. So go talk to this guy that's carrying a water jar and he'll show you how to do it and where we're going to meet. He had made it easy for those guys to do. And then he laid down his life for all of us. He served. He didn't, he didn't complain. He did talk directly to God the Father in that time in the garden where he's like, if there's any other way that we can do this, can we do it? But I only want the other way if it's from you. He could have come up with a bunch of other ways himself. The devil had three of them in the wilderness that were all perfectly good plans in the eyes of the devil. But he, he did it and he submitted. So then just to show that Jesus is living his normal life, even though it's all about to come crashing down... They're going out of Jericho. There's a big crowd. There's two blind men. And they're shouting, Lord, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. And so when they say that he's the son of David, they're recognizing he is the king. He is the true king. He reigns. He rules. He has authority. And they're blind but they want mercy because they know that they're the sixth hour workers that they aren't doing any they can't contribute to the king at all they have no contribution to give to him to get their sight back and so they're crying out Lord have mercy on us son of David these guys are they see Jesus in the right light they have nothing to offer him you know, James and John and Zebedee, the Mrs. Zebedee, they were like, we'll do whatever it takes to sit at your right and left hand. Just say that we can do that. These guys that are blind, they're like, 
we hope you stop, we're hopeless. One funny thing, I read just one little comment. This area, there was a balm that, that they could harvest and grow and make near Jericho that was supposed to be a healing for blindness and for eye problems. And so there was probably a higher number of blind people in this region than normal. But the only two we hear about are the two that are crying out and saying, have mercy on us, have mercy on us. The crowd rebukes them. Everything they've heard Jesus say, the crowd is still not getting it. And they rebuke them and they tell them to be quiet. Can you imagine? Like, like we hear that and that sounds so awful. But remember who we are. We're still thinking that we should get paid more because we started working at 6 o'clock in the morning. Right? We still think that we should get a better spot because we did more for God and so He owes us more. We're just like these people. Don't bother Him. Don't bother the King. Don't, don't, make a new, don't look. We can't have all these blind people up here by the front of the line making Jesus look bad. We've got to hide you guys in the back. Lord, have mercy on us. They cry out even louder. Jesus stops. This cracks me up. Jesus calls to them and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus knew what they wanted. Just like Jesus knew why Mrs. Zebedee and James and John were kneeling down in front of him. But when they said out loud what they wanted, it let everybody else know this is what they're coming to him for. What do you want me to do for you? They said, let our eyes be open. Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. This is not a case where he rubs mud on their eyes and tells them to go wash in this pool. This is not a time where they're partially healed and then healed a little bit more to show the people around about perseverance. This is not an instance where um, there's, there's any other kind of teaching. And it's just Jesus has pity on them and he heals them completely right there on the spot. And it says they immediately recovered their sight and they followed him. There are some people in this crowd that have just started to follow Jesus. That haven't, they've heard about the miracles, they've heard about his teaching, but they haven't seen anything yet. And now they see this and it's instantaneous. It's full, it's complete. And it's Jesus in his pity, in his love, in his care for them. And I think that's the, that is the great it's a great place to end this chapter. I mean, this is where the chapter ends. But this whole business of God paying people not according to their works, but just by trusting and knowing the Master. This whole notion of Jesus having, having mercy and forgiving. And that people, like you think in your head, if James and John, who are so awesome aren't going to be at Jesus' right and left hand. Who is? Well, it could be any one of us. Isn't that shocking? It could be any one of us.
Now, is there really going to be a table? And are we really going to be sitting around right and left hand? And, and is that person that sits on the right side of Jesus really going to be better than anybody? Well, I mean, I don't know. We will have bodies. We'll be able to interact. We will be able to walk around. But I don't think there's going to be any jealousy for position in heaven because that's sin. And there's no sin in heaven. Okay? But it all revolves on Jesus' mercy. It all revolves on Jesus' grace and His love for us. And then He gives it. And that's the whole point of all of it. Nowhere in here do you see, alright, I'll heal your blindness if you could shout louder for me. Alright, I'll let you sit in my right and left hand if you cast down fire on more cities. So that's what James and John wanted to do at one point. It's, it's His mercy and His goodness. And all of that happens knowing full well that the very next chapter is going to be the triumphal entry and the path towards His crucifixion. He is still showing mercy. He is still being the servant of all. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for showing us mercy. That all at the same time you would say, the greatest among you would be the servant of all. And you would acknowledge and know that we are going to do a terrible job at that. And that we still get to reap all of your blessings and reap all of your goodness in your care. Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct us, that you would give us new and innovative ways to see in our daily life how we can be servants to others, how we can care for one another, and that we would seek to be close to you and to trust in your grace more and more. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number 438 together.